Chapter 3 of The Northern Spy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Northern Spy by J. Thomas Warren. Chapter 3 A Midnight Ride Rough Work and Sharp. Maurice Hoffman was engaged in a new business for him fleeing from an enemy. But there were powerful inducements that urged him to this course, ignominious as it might appear at first glance. And among the various motives that operated in producing the decision to fly, that of fear of personal harm had no place. Once in the road, he gave his noble horse the spur and flew on toward the east with the speed of the wind. Two miles were quickly traveled. He drew rein to let his horse breathe and to listen. The moon now was fairly up and gave considerable light, although partially obscured by floating clouds in the sky. There was a delicious coolness in the air that refreshed and invigorated him. He rose in his stirrups and turned his ear in the direction of the inn. Not a sound disturbed the solemn quiet that reigned over the country, soon to be broken by the victorious tramp of Sherman's conquering legions. Ah, what was that? He listens again. The sound is very faint. It increases. It is the clatter of iron hoofs. He is pursued. No, the noise is right ahead. Cavalry in front of him. It must be some of Hampton's men, he said to himself, and I'm not particularly anxious to meet them. I'll just ride into this gully among the trees till they go by. I hope they'll pass soon, for it would be dangerous to delay too long. I'm unfortunate. He turned his horse's head and rode a short distance up the gully, until the shadow of the trees and the bushes concealed him from the road. The dragoons were approaching at a gentle trot, and after the lapse of five minutes, the captain had the pleasure of seeing the troop, that consisted of six men, ride past the gully and down the road. As their tramp echoed more faintly, he rode down the gully and turned up the highway. He had lost ten minutes by this delay, and he now found that it was likely to prove a very disastrous occurrence for him. Shouts in the distance, and the noise of men riding swiftly and furiously up the road, came to his ears on the night breeze. His pursuers from the inn were upon him. No doubt the six dragoons who had just passed would join in the pursuit. Ah, why not turn into the gully again, until they had all rode by up the road? Happy thought, but it came too late. His enemies have caught sight of him. They redouble their cries and speed. Ten men are after him, coming on like ten demons. He gave his horse the spur and rein, and off the gallant beast bounded. Hold on, Captain Hoffman, cried the voice of the lieutenant. We're coming. Show your face, you Yankee spy, coward. The captain's blood boiled within him at these taunts. Once he drew rein, almost determined to turn and face his pursuers, rather than to endure their insults. But the importance of his mission restrained him from committing so rash an act, and he held his way. "'Hurry up, boys!' cried the rebel Sam, who was a length in advance of the others. "'We're almost on him. Let us give this cowardly Yank such a basting as he'll not soon forget. How do you like traveling in South Carolina, you craven-hearted clock peddler? We'll send you to Andersonville.' Flesh and blood could endure no more. This last taunt seemed too much for the phlegm of even Maurice Hoffman, or the importance of his mission. Andersonville. 
reeking with the blood of patriots, whose only crime was defending their country with their lives, crowded with the starved and dead and dying soldiers of the Republic, who were murdered by hundreds in the most fiendish and infernal manner. Should the man live who boasted of this? I'll send you to your death, villain, retorted the captain, in a voice that rung out stern and defiant as he turned and discharged his revolver twice among the pursuers. Justice directed the first bullet, for it crashed like lightning straight through the forehead of the brutal Sam, who gave a prolonged scream of agony, and throwing up his hands he reeled in his saddle and fell over to the ground. The second ball disabled the horse of another trooper who was thrown heavily to the earth. "'You'll never taunt another man with Andersonville, you wolfish fiend,' said Maurice to himself, as he rode on as swiftly as before. A shout of rage and defiance was uttered by the rebels, as they urged their beasts on more rapidly than ever. The shots of the fugitive set an example to his pursuers, who now began to discharge their weapons at the captain. They were not armed, however, with revolvers, and had only their swords and carbines, and as they had no time to reload, eight shots were all they could send after the flying horsemen. Six carbines were fired, none doing injury, except one that gave the horse a slight flesh wound, from which the blood, however, flowed freely. The distance between the two parties remained about the same, and Maurice hoped he might yet outride them, if the remaining two shots would prove as futile as those already discharged. Encouraged by this hope, he again turned and fired two more shots from his revolver. A cry of pain announced someone hit, but as eight men still rode after him, he concluded that a wound was the extent of the damage his enemy had received. Crack went a carbine. Maurice felt his horse to be hit, for the dumb animal gave a cry of mortal fear and leaped forward like a flash. Trees, fences, rocks seemed to fly past him with a fearful speed. This lasted for the space of thirty seconds. Then he felt the beast tremble and its speed slacken. It staggered to its fall, and the captain had just time to remove his feet from the stirrups and leap to the ground as the faithful brute plunged and sunk upon the dusty road, writhing in the agonies of death. The captain leaped over the low fence that skirted the road and turned, discharging the two remaining barrels of his six-shooter. A rebel trooper returned the compliment from his carbine. One of the dragoons fell, but the captain was unharmed. The pursuers shouted aloud with exultant cries, and four of them urged their beasts over the fence after the captain, who rushed up an avenue which led to a planter's house, standing about twenty rods from the highway. Four to one, considerable odds, but the captain, with a dogged resolution, sought for his other revolver in his belt. Terrible discovery, he had lost it. Nothing was now left him but his sword, and this he drew, casting aside the scabbard as a useless encumbrance. A large gate barred the passage of the avenue at its upper end, where it opened into the yard or lawn. The captain sprang over this barrier with the agility of a cat, and the rebels threw themselves from their horses and also attempted the passage. Here was an opportunity for a defense, and so Maurice set himself to work to dispute the passage of his assailants. He was fatigued and panted with the tremendous exertions he had put forth, but the danger and a hope of escape nerved his arm still. The first rebel who seized the gate to climb over received a straight downward swinging blow upon his head that clove him to the chin. 
Two others were nearly over, and again the captain was compelled to seek safety in flight. His blood, however, was up. Of ten pursuers, only three remained. It was a struggle for life, yea, as he well knew, for more than life. Before him he saw a broad, smooth sward. Beyond it were trees and shrubs, and then a white mansion that looked so quiet and peaceful in the bright moonlight. There were lights in one or two of the windows, and some appearance of stir, as if the noise of the firing had roused the inmates. Might there not be help here? Help, pleasant sound to his ears. These devils seek my life or my letters, thought the captain, one precious to me at least, the other precious to my country. These miscreants shall have neither, a truly hospitable welcome to my native state after years of absence. The young captain was now halfway across the lawn, when he turned and cried out in an energetic tone, Stop, villains! Would you murder me? Shut up! roared the lieutenant. Surrender, or we'll run you through as if you were a sucking pig. And with this he made a fierce lunge at the young man, which, however, Maurice parried skillfully, and by the same movement opened a vein in Gossam's arm that started the blood in a stream. The others had now come up, and for fear of being surrounded, Captain Hoffman retreated, until he had placed his back against the side of the mansion, when he tightened his grasp upon the handle of his sword and called out defiantly, Come on, then, pirates, robbers, cutthroats. Though you are three to one, I defy you all. Do your worst. Give him your steel, boys, shouted Lieutenant Gossam, enraged beyond control by the smart of the wound he'd already received. The worthy lieutenant paused a moment to gain breath and to give his two companions a chance to try their skill upon their victim. If it is my purse you want, take it, said the captain tauntingly. It's the Yankee blood and treasonable documents we're after, roared the rebel lieutenant as he grasped his sword, preparatory to renewing the attack. Look out for your own craven blood, retorted the captain as he took one of his adversaries off guard, and with a swift, vigorous thrust drove his keen blade into the man's side, who sunk back, quivering with pain, upon the green grass. The two remaining rebels now beset the captain, fiercely and unsparingly. Blow followed blow, with such rapidity that Maurice's arm was wholly occupied in self-defense. Already he was wounded in the sword arm. The pain was sharp and sudden, and the captain began to grow discouraged. He felt a rapidly increasing weariness coming over him. At last his adversaries noticed this, and that he began to strike wildly and somewhat at random. Give it to him. He's not played out, cried the brutal lieutenant as he increased his activity and literally showered ringing blows upon the captain's feebly resisting parries. For my part, said his companion, I think the Yankee has showed mighty good pluck, but we are bound to have the documents. Suddenly a new life seemed to inspire the captain, who pressed his adversaries and gave the last speaker a terrible gash upon the cheek. The move exposed the captain's head, and the lieutenant aimed a tremendous blow straight at the defenseless spot. But, with the rapidity of thought, the captain's sword again interposed, but only to be snapped into a dozen pieces, and the partially intercepted blow fell heavily upon the officer's head. Maurice staggered beneath it, and he felt a faintness stealing over his faculties. He saw the flashing of bright lights and heard the sound of voices the rough tones of men and the soft accents of women, and then he caught vainly at some imaginary object in the air and sunk in utter unconsciousness upon the ground. End of chapter 3 Recording by Colleen McMahon